Our sermon text this morning, so well told to us by the children already, comes from Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nathaniel. Previously, we read from Isaiah 60, and in your worship folder, you'll find that there. And I encourage you to keep your thumb on that passage as well. Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, what a great uh, opportunity it is to worship you. Father, we've sung some, some beautiful hymns and uh, songs of the season. Father, I pray you would now uh, catch us and intercede for us. Father, help us not be uh, ashamed to discover anew and afresh our need for you. Father, help us not uh, beat ourselves up that we find in us uh, no good thing. Father, I ask that you would now uh, reveal to us uh, good news. Help us look at a familiar text and find something fresh. And uh, in the end, Lord, we ask you would pierce our, our hearts deeply, that we would love you more deeply. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is a familiar passage, isn't it? Uh, if you want to know what tough preaching is, tough, uh, preach to a crowd that knows the text well. Uh, Advent is a, is a tough assignment because uh, the familiarity, the, the knowledge that we have um, somewhat prevents us from being surprised in a new way. I love, uh, it's, it's great to be around uh, Christmas uh, programs. I, I enjoy them. I don't get tired of them. This week, uh, here in this room, this room has had about six different looks this week. Uh, we had our little preschool uh, program here, Mary and Joseph, two and a half feet tall. Uh, they were there, and uh, 
And, and, and they got the whole essence of it. They got the shepherds. They got the, the star, that cardboard glitter star that somebody made. And one of the wise men, his eye got, almost got poked by the star. It was kind of a dramatic moment. And it's, it's just great. We, we love the story. We, we love seeing it. And, and it's, it's hard to be, to be captured once anew and afresh. And what does it mean what does it mean for me? I have lots of questions about my life. I, I'm familiar. I get it. Jesus was born. Okay. But our series this, this season is really about living with questions. That's what we're up to. You can see a short summary of it there on the, on the, on the page for your sermon. But uh, our series today is, uh, this, this Advent season is living with questions, meaning that I'm, I, I might be a believer. And I know that Jesus has come, but I have a, an abiding um, uh, sense of questions about my life, and I, uh, I'm still waiting, and I'm still in, feeling incomplete. And uh, if that is where you are this morning, you are among, you are among friends. And I think that there is something about the Christmas story that we love to see uh, enacted over and over. In fact, it's probably the most uh, dramatized uh, acted. A, Upon a part of the Bible, it's hard to reenact the parting of the Red Sea, by the way. Uh, and so it's easy to put together, you know, a couple of shepherds and, uh, and, and to have a star and have the, the Magi show up. And, uh, and, and there's something about the story that we are glad to hear it because, and I think this is what's going on inside, we, uh, we love the story because we see that we can enter that story. There's something about the story Jesus coming a humble to the manger, born in, uh, and, and placed likely in a feeding trough, and, and, and this whole idea that he's accessible. Uh, first of all, he comes in this great weak form. He doesn't come as a great uh, uh, king or uh, with a great uh, fanfare. He comes humbly. And there's something about the story that helps us, we can access it. We want to be in the story, and we wonder if God would include us in the story. Uh, we are now with the Magi, and we know something about them. They are a mysterious uh, group of men. We don't know how many there were. We know that there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but, and so some have concluded there were three wise men. We don't know how many there were. And they are mysterious. They come uh, from uh, the east. Uh, some think they are coming from Persia. Uh, they are uh, experts in the heavens, uh, uh, perhaps astrolog- astrologers, perhaps, uh, but they are wise about Israel's history, and they know that kings are born in Israel, and they have been waiting, and they see this extraordinary star, and they begin to follow it, and they journey, and it's safe to say they journeyed hundreds of miles, and they came, and uh, they don't arrive at the moment of Christ's birth, they come somewhat later, and they go through Jerusalem. <clears throat> And they have a question. They're getting close. They see the star, but they're getting close. And they, they inquire of the leaders, the priests, the, the, the leaders of Israel, what's going on? Where is he? And they have a great title for Jesus. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And then they're given the, the prophecy from Micah. And uh, the leadership of Israel know that Bethlehem is going to be... Uh, it's going to be a big city at, uh, in, in, in biblical history, even though it's a tiny little place. And so they're told, well, Bethlehem has always been the place where we would anticipate the next ruler of Israel to come from. And so you find it there in Matthew 2. You see that 
the prophecy is given, and they, they listen, and then they continue on. And what's, what's remarkable about this passage is that the star continues to be very close to them and guides them right to Bethlehem. And it's interesting that scholars are, uh, are pretty much agreed that this was, this star was actually what, what the, the Jews would have called the Shekinah glory. Remember that extraordinary experience of being delivered out of Egypt and the, and the pillar of fire and the cloud that was formed that delivered them through the Red Sea. That cloud was actually between Israel and the uh, approaching armies of, of Egypt. And God protected his people with that manifestation of what is called his Shekinah glory. And then that Shekinah glory rested upon Mount Sinai. And, and Moses was the one who entered into that bright, glorious cloud. Scholars are thinking that this bright, glorious cloud this intense manifestation of God's glory is actually what the star was about. It was a manifestation of the Shekinah glory of God. And it was looking at like a star. And as you look at this text, it's really quite extraordinary. Does that star actually rest right above where Mary and Joseph were when the, the, when the Magi arrived? And God is announcing that the great exodus of God's people out of darkness has arrived. It's extraordinary. God has come to deliver his people, and like he delivered them in the past with the Shekinah glory, delivering them from bondage of Egypt, he's now come, and he has He's tabernacled among men in human flesh. He has, he's placed his tent here on this earth. And the glory of God is now manifesting. And what's very interesting is that we, we find our need to find Jesus in this story. We watch the wise men as they travel. And there's a huge communication going on here in this text. They found him. How about you? They followed God's revelation. How about you? And so I want to I start with really the thesis of my, of my message today is really this. The light of God's revelation, the star for the Magi, the light of God's revelation, listen to this, is powerful enough to move us to be unashamed followers and worshipers of Jesus Christ. The light of God's revelation is powerful enough to move all of us that we would be unashamed followers and worshipers of Jesus Christ. That's the story of the Magi. I want to look at three things today, just very briefly. There's, there's finding Jesus in entering into the new movement of God. Uh, there's finding Jesus in discovering his worth through worship. And then there's finding Jesus in partnering with God in mission. So let's look at those in the time that we have. Finding Jesus is entering into the new movement of God. Um, uh, what, what we do as a church is we take seriously that God used uh, a process whereby the human author, Matthew, was inspired to write this book. But God used 
what was on Matthew's heart to shape the, the contours of Matthew's gospel. When you read Luke, you get a sense of Luke's strategy, and he is inspired by God to write a particular drama, a particular presentation of the life of Jesus. In Matthew, we have Matthew 1, an announcement. Where does Jesus come from? He fulfills, he is from Abraham. It goes right back to Genesis 12 and the promises given to Abraham, that Abraham would be not only the father of a great nation, but the father of multiple nations. From the loins of Abraham come all the believers who would ultimately trust in Christ. Matthew has a strategy. He's introduced Jesus. God is moving. God is stirring. God is uh, up, up to something great. And then Matthew 2 comes along, and we find we're being introduced to some kind of royalty coming from the east. The first picture of humans encountering Jesus in Matthew's gospel is that they are worshiping him. Matthew has a strategy. He is now writing with a particular purpose. And to find Jesus is to enter into the new movement of God. What's happening here? Matthew is picturing the world in darkness. When the world is created... God's spirit moves upon the darkness. Remember the Genesis 1 account? God's spirit moves upon the darkness, and God brings light to bear upon the darkness. He shapes that which has not been made into shape yet. God moves upon the darkness with his light, his glorious light. Matthew is giving us a picture. That Isaiah 60 passage that I had you uh, look at, Let's take a look at that real quickly. Look over at Isaiah 60. What Matthew is doing is he's borrowing from one of the great prophets. And the great imagery is light. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth. A picture of Genesis 1. And a thick darkness, the peoples, are conditioned in sin. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light. This would be the privilege that Israel would have of being the vehicle through which God would bring his son. The nations shall come to your light, Matthew 2, who shows up. An international cohort shows up. Men from other nations come, and they come to acknowledge a king has been born in Israel. The nations are coming, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So it's great news. Here's what's going on. There's a parallel to the, to the Genesis account going on here. Matthew is saying as God moved through the darkness and brought light, God is now moving in the, in the birth of his son into the darkness, and he has brought light. And one of the great things is that the nations themselves are being given that light as well. So we're part of this drama. Uh, Just as you watch the Christmas plays put on by by schools and churches and you you love to see them and you want to see yourself in that story, God intends to have you part of this extraordinary story, the light. The light is now permeating the nations even as I speak. So God is moving And to find Jesus, you must know that he is the center of the new creation. 
all things are becoming new. And with the birth, advent of Christ, something is unfolding, and we can't fully see it now, something glorious, the new and final movement of God upon the creation itself. We are part of the last, final, great, dramatic work of God. And God surrounds this moment with his Shekinah glory, like his glorious light that came and shaped the universes out of darkness. Now he's come to shape in our hearts a hope of the new creation. Something glorious is going on. And the Magi have had the light of God leading them. And so we are desperate for powerful revelation to move our hearts to be followers and worshipers of Jesus Christ. The nations are coming and they are represented in the Magi. God has pitched his tent like he pitched his tent among Israel in the old uh, covenant. Now he has pitched his tent in the body of Jesus Christ. Have you found him? Do you know that God has come for sinners? Do you know this light? Have you begun the process of, of, of entering into that new creation? And are you now changing as a result of the good news of Jesus Christ? You see, as the Magi were following Jesus, they, every aspect of their life was, was involved in following him. Uh, they give of their wealth to him. Uh, they give of their time to him. Uh, they risk their lives traveling, no doubt, upon dangerous roads. They come because they are compelled to respond to that light. And that's how God works with us. That's how it works, is that when God comes with his powerful revelation, it, it's irresistible. Uh, it, that is the experience of trusting Jesus. It's an overwhelming joy, and it's an overwhelming sense of, I must follow him. What else would I do? Finding Jesus. <laughs> Finding Jesus, secondly, uh, listen to this, is discovering his worth through worship. Isn't that amazing? Isaiah 60, verse 14, actually says, of the nations that they will fall down and they will bow at your feet. Well, that happens. These men who are great dignitaries, uh, described as wise men, uh, have they ever bowed uh, to anyone else? I wonder. Well, when they see this young child, they bow and they are unashamedly acknowledging his worth. The word worship is actually connected to the idea of of worth, the worthiness of God. When we worship, we are acknowledging his worthiness. Christmas carols are just so packed with ascribing worth to Jesus Christ. Matthew's gospel starts... With us, with, with us observing men of great dignity, unashamed to bow to Jesus Christ. They are unashamed to say that we need more direction. We need to know where he is, what specific town he's in. And they ask, where is he? We may not formulate it quite like they did, the questions in our hearts and minds. Where is Christ? For I have lost my way in life. Is that you? Do you come here this morning and do you ask, where is Christ, for I need assurance that he's with me? Today, maybe you arrive and you're asking this question, where is Christ, for I have experienced many pleasures in this world, but I am so empty and I am so thirsty. 
where can I find someone worth giving myself to? And that's what worship, Je- worshiping Jesus is all about. It's finding him and discovering him. And so we are all on a journey as a church. Um, every time we worship, every time we get together, we're learning something more beautiful about Jesus. It's a process. It happens Sunday after Sunday. We are involved in fellowship groups. And when you read your Bible, we're all trying to understand why we were made, for what purpose are we to live for. And you know who's in the middle of it all? It's Jesus Christ. What is good and what is beautiful and what is true? One of the great series of questions that a classical Christian school would ask. What is beautiful, good, and true? And the answer, the answer is Jesus Christ. He's the beautiful uh, hero in that story you're reading. Uh, He's the good and courageous one who sacrifices himself uh, in that that Russian drama that you may be reading. he's He's the beautiful one where you sense the beauty as you look at that classical picture. He's behind all the beauty that we see. So what are you looking for? You are looking and searching for Jesus Christ. Maybe you didn't know that as you came in today. Maybe you uh, just thought I'd go through a, a church service and be on my way. But God, through his powerful revelation, today it's the word of God. For the Magi, it was the revelation of the star alongside the word of God. Listen carefully. Jesus Christ is pursuing people who have come to the end of themselves and who are willing to cry out and say, Lord, I need the full revelation of who you are is my greatest need and God is so kind to give us that desire what did the magi know it's a mystery I kind of like the fact that they're a mysterious group of group of men who show up and we we give them a royal titles and but we're not sure who they are but we know that they represent the nations who are coming and they understand something of Christ's kingship and how he has left glory to suffer on behalf of sinners. And then finally, I'd like you to look at the idea of finding Jesus is partnering with God in mission. Matthew's gospel has a strategy. Uh, We're already introduced to these international cohorts, the the wise men, and they come and worship, and no doubt they are uh, going to broadcast what they've seen in Bethlehem uh, to wherever they're from. And it's interesting that Jesus, as The book of Matthew concludes, he says to them, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth, therefore go. And you see, Jesus Christ is concerned for the nations. He's concerned for every uh, every sinner of the nations who will turn and say, I understand my need. It's interesting that these magi move from the west, excuse me, they move from the east and they're moving west. They come from the east and they're moving west. And when man was banished from the garden, you might notice that he was banished on the east side of the garden. And whenever there's a west, westward movement uh, in the Bible, you might note it's almost always associated with good news. When God rebuilds and restarts uh, mankind, it is inevitably a westward, westward movement when Paul the Apostle and his companion Silas are traveling along, uh, it's interesting that they want to go east, and God forbids them for that moment, and they go west. And for centuries, the 
the church is located uh, in Europe, and that is used as a, as a center of missions for, for centuries. Now, of course, the, the movement of God has continued to, to so many nations around the world, but God is moving among these magi to move them west. And westward movement means salvation. Well, we are partnering with God in mission. And I hope when you uh, rediscover Jesus Christ, if you're a regular attender here Sunday after Sunday, uh, something will get under your skin where you will say, wait a minute, this is too good. This is really good. This spoke to my deep, deep need. And I want to be unashamedly following Jesus. And I want to be a worshiper of him. But I want, I want it to overflow uh, from my life to other people. And here's the deal. When God does a deep work in our hearts, where we see ourselves as deeply needing the Jesus Christ of Scripture, then we are drawn to all kinds of people who are experiencing their brokenness. In 1977, in New York City, there was a, a manhunt on. This man, uh, his name was David Berkowitz, and he had become a serial killer. His name, nickname was called Son of Sam. And his goal was really to bring the, the city of New York to its knees. And he pretty much did that. He was nicknamed the Duke of Death or the Wicked King Wicker. Those were terms that he liked to call himself. He had set more than 2,000 fires. He had shot and killed six people. He had wounded seven more. And he left bizarre hand-scrawled notes with messages like, Police, let me haunt you with these words. I'll be back. I'll be back. To be interpreted as bang, 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 bang. Ugh. The son of Sam, known as David Berkowitz, was a very troubled individual. He had been tormented most of his life by outbursts of anger, depression, emotional problems. He would hide as a child for hours under his bed, and he would lock himself in his closet. And he would sit on the window of the ledge of their sixth-floor apartment where his family lived, and he would, legs dan dangling, he would flirt with suicide. A story is recounted in a Christian magazine called Salvo about his life. And something happened uh, in 1987 when he was in prison. He was caught, and he was relieved to be caught, and he said so. For 10 years, he went about in prison life in absolute despair. And then one night in 1987, it was winter and it was cold, and he was pacing out in the yard with another inmate, and another inmate approached and said, you're David Berkowitz, right? And he said, yeah, what of it? The inmate said, Jesus Christ loves you very much. Berkowitz re replied, listen, God ain't interested in me. I appreciate it, but God is not for me. He knew he wasn't a good person, and he knew what he had done. But the the individual kept after him and uh, said, well, 
You don't understand, but God loves you. And if you let me, I'd like to be your friend. His name was Rick, and the two began to walk together. And Rick would talk to him about the Bible and finally gave him a pocket Bible and told him, read the Psalms. What did he have to lose? And he started to read the Psalms and was shocked and amazed to find that the most beautiful words he'd ever read were there. And one night, he read these words, quote, This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. And these words, something broke inside David, and he had been troubled and experiencing trouble all his life. And he prayed this, God, I can't take this anymore. If you're out there, if you want anything to do with me, I'm sick of having to live with knowing that I've hurt innocent people, knowing that I've destroyed lives. I'm sick of the devil. I'm sick of being lied to. And in the quietness, this article says that he poured out his burdens, his needs, and his tears until he was truly spent. When he finally got up from his knees, he felt that a tremendous burden had been lifted. He didn't understand what was happening, but he knew his life was somehow going to be different from then on. And that night, he slept like a baby. And the article goes on to recount how he joined in with the chapel Bible studies. And he goes on to say that for the first time in his life, he began to know hope. The individual who went up to this serial killer was so moved by the mission of God and God's pursuit of outcasts. And he approached him knowing that the the power of divine revelation could work upon any heart. If you have found Jesus, then God is at work in your heart and you have entered into the mission of God. And what we are called to do is to now understand that the light that so powerfully shone upon the Magi and brought them to Bethlehem, that God is still committed to shining the light of his revelation. And his his revelation is powerful. And he can take a a, a sentence from the Psalms and he he can convert a serial killer and bring him to his knees and bring him, bring him to the joyful news that God has come for such as, as someone like him. And so I ask that our hearts would be stirred because we've been given an abundant brilliance of, of revelation as a church. The word of God is, um, is working among us and may our hearts be stirred to know why we're meeting this person, why we have this unusual encounter, why, why we're talking with this person. May, may we understand that God is up to great things because here is what he's after. He wants to put into the heart of sinners a desire. When they hear the Christmas story, he wants to put in their heart, could I be in that story? Could, could I see Jesus? Could I hear the news? You see, that's why we love to have the drama reenacted for us because we want to be part of the story of stories. In prison courtyards, 
where despondent men and women are walking, the hope of the gospel, God's mission is going into those dark places. Be encouraged. God is working and bringing the power of his revelation to our hearts. And, over, and the overflow, may it be joyful. Let's, let's go in prayer. Go to him in prayer. Father, you have shown the light of your greatness and glory in our hearts. Father, we thank you for the beginning of Matthew's gospel that starts with men from the east moving west, finding Christ, the King. And so, Lord, as familiar as this story is, Father, we pray that you would ignite a passion in us for what you have said to us, how you have been so clear to tell us about Christ. Father, today, we thank you for the glory that we've already tasted. Father, we continue to live with questions. We thank you that you've given us each other, the church, the scriptures, to help us come before you with our questions. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.